Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for uh, joining me today. I had a fantastic hour uh, with Ace Collins. If you missed any of that, you're going to want to go hear that. He made a, a terrific, uh, uh, wrote a terrific book on gratitude, which is really what your attitude is. And I know personally I needed to hear what he said today. So thank you to Alex. And also um, Alex McFarland is going to be my guest coming up. And I also want to thank Peter Kapsner for Wrangling Guy Talk yesterday. I appreciated him doing it, although I know it helped him chip away at his community service obligation. Ha, ha, ha. Anyway, Peter's great. I hope you enjoyed it. We're going to have a great uh, uh, segment with Dr. Alex McFarland. We're going to talk about getting back to church and what's that going to be like after some time off and being online for a while. So let's take 60 seconds and be right back. Faith Radio Summer Must Read, The Bible. We're partnering with our friends at Unlocking the Bible to invite you to join us for Summer in the Scriptures. Visit MyFaithRadio.com to sign up. It's a guided tour through the entire Bible. This special journey from Genesis to Revelation will help you see how the Bible story fits together while you catch a glimpse of the glory of Jesus Christ. Know the whole story of the Bible and sign up today at MyFaithRadio.com. The She Reads Truth community aims to help women spend time reading the Word of God every day. With the She Reads Truth Study Bible, find a reading plan that works for you. Get to know God better with 200 devotionals, a one-year reading plan, and more than 60 artist-designed key verse illustrations to aid in Scripture memory. We're giving away one copy of the She Reads Truth Study Bible each week this month. Enter to win a copy at MyFaithRadio.com. That's MyFaithRadio.com. Always delighted to bring Alex McFarland onto the show. He's a Christian apologist. He's an author of at least 20 books. He's an evangelist. He's a religion and culture analyst and expert, and he is an advocate for biblical truth. So I'm always excited when he can make time to be on the show. Alex, welcome back. Well, thank you, Bill. It's great to be on. You know, I've got to say this, that just as we were coming on, I was listening to the uh, the return music. Um, one of our, um, you know, faithful friends of our ministry was texting me from Ohio saying, I want to find out where you're on the radio. Where is this faith radio? And uh, myfaithradio.com, I texted the website. And so I know we have listeners on in Ohio right now. So thanks. That's fantastic. This is one of our Truth for a New Generation colleagues, uh, Steve and Sherry are their names. So, uh, hey, we're going to grow your footprint, man. I love that. I love that. We saw a map of where everyone is listening across the country, and there's so many people now that have discovered the Faith Radio app, and they listen, and some are surprised to know that we are actually a radio station. Oh, wow. They think it's just a a, nationwide podcast or something. So we're making friends all over the place. We we really are. Um, 
since the pandemic, Bill, uh, we've started doing a Monday, Wednesday, and Friday webcast at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. It's on my Facebook page, Rev Alex McFarland, R-E-V, Rev Alex McFarland. And we've been doing, you know, like some apologetics and some inspirational things and, you know, some worldview things. But really the podcast, I mean, the web stream uh, things I've been trying to make kind of light and inspirational but uh, we're getting a slew of emails and got a message this week from a man in India. Uh, the name <laughs> of his city, I can't pronounce. But, but he messaged me on Facebook and he said, it's such a blessing. I'm watching the web stream. Uh, God bless you. You're helping us understand the Bible. And I gave a shout out to a man in India who's watching our webcast every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So I guess my point is, you know, for all of the challenges, and I know there are a lot of challenges for churches, especially churches that are, you know, navigating these brand new waters of the pandemic. But isn't it amazing that we've got this technology and the gospel will not be hindered? The the message of our Lord and Savior is still beaming forth, isn't it, Bill? Yeah, it is. And uh, Alex, I'd love to hear some of the questions or some of the concerns people are are giving you on, on these webcasts. Well, we've gotten a lot of questions about, you know, um, my kids are afraid, you know, what what's the world coming to? You know, we actually even had a man today ask us, you know, should we be hoarding up gold or silver or things like that? And, um, you know, I'm not really qualified to advise people financially, but I, I will say this. We've got to trust God and we 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 need to have our financial house in order. and. Uh, I think this is one of those times it might be a little tiny bit of a dress rehearsal for seriously hard times. I know there are a lot of people that now find themselves unemployed or underemployed. And, Bill, in the first century, I know you know this, uh, but the church was really ostracized. The, The emerging church there, you know, after Christ rose and Peter preached at Pentecost and by the way, Pentecost Sunday is coming up very soon. But the church, I mean, to say that they were the fringes of Jewish and Roman society is an understatement. But you know how they made it? They provided for each other. And it, mm. it just might be that we Christians have to rediscover what it truly means to hold things in common like they did in the book of Acts. And that that's why— um, I really think that we need to try to live um, frugally and try to live and uh, prayerfully, diligently get our financial house in order because, um, you know, I hope this isn't the way it is, but we might look back on the spring of 2020 and and think, man, things weren't that bad uh, if, if seriously, seriously hard times come, which I, Bill, I, I, I suspect they really are. Mm-hmm. Alex, do you get uh, evil and suffering uh, a lot on these webinars? Do you get people asking about all the suffering that's going on in the world and why would God allow this? I do. We, we get questions about that. In fact, I think that's probably one of the more perennial apologetics questions about, you know, why does God allow pain and suffering? But um, let me read you one that came in. I, I'm scrolling through several hundred questions that that we got. Oh, by the way, here's one. 
that came in about two days ago. Um, and it says, I'm listening to you and Bill Arnold on Faith Radio. Thank you for your Bible-based teaching and godly influence. The shows are phenomenal. And um, I love that. This is a person, a 701 area code. Uh, does that ring a bell, Bill? Where is 701? Um, I can't remember for right now, but I th- want to say it might be in Wisconsin. Yeah. Wow. Well, I, thank you for those kind words. But North Dakota. North what? Dakota. North Dakota. Okay, wow, yeah. cool. But yeah. um, listen to this. Okay, here is, this is not in relation to your show. This is in relation to another interview I did. Um, here is uh, Rob from California who emailed me in and said, now listen to this. If you people do indeed represent what Christianity has become, Christianity is obviously in dire need of another reformation. So, um, by the way, how would you respond to something like that, Bill? Because um, it, he says, if you people do indeed represent what Christianity has become, Christianity is in dire need of another reformation. Well, what's your, on first blush, how do you respond to something like well, that? Well, Alex, you you know on my show, you answer the hard questions. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, what I said to this guy. I said, well, first of all, thanks for listening, and... Um, you know, I must have offended you in some way, and I apologize for that. But let me say, um, what what I've taught, that the Bible is God's Word, Christ rose from the dead, He paid for the sin of humanity on the cross, that was called the atonement. Uh, we do need to come to Christ, grow in Christ, proclaim Jesus to the world. None of that is, is aberrant or unbiblical. You know, to the best of my knowledge and to the best of my ability, everything that I've been preaching is absolutely in step with what Christianity has said for 2,000 years. So, um, it, you know, I, I really don't think I'm, I'm teaching anything that's out of school or or against what Christianity has taught for 2,000 years. So, I, you know, if something about Christ and Jesus being the Savior— and biblical truth offends you, it's not what, quote, you people, we evangelicals have become. It's merely um, a problem this listener has with the Word of God. So here's the thing. Questions like that are often sent in out of emotion and pain. Mm-hmm. Um, questions about pain, you know, suffering. Why did God cause the pandemic? Or why does why does God allow suffering? The more hostile a person is, I think the more they need empathy and patience, because chances are they're they're hurting in some way, mm-hmm. or maybe they had some church experience that was toxic. So, um, Bill, I I've I found that intellectual skepticism very often begins with emotional pain. And and for that we, reason, we try to handle the questions, you know, gently and carefully. I'm, I agree with you completely. I, I sometimes want to ask, what did you hear me say that uh, that you found so offensive? And just make sure that, you know, I pray every day what I say and what people hear are the same. Of course, yeah, I can't control brilliant. that, though. That's true. Sometimes we misspeak. Um, uh, oh, definitely. <laughs> Often I do, and uh, you know, um, 
we do pray. And that's one thing I appreciate about you. I know you do pray, and I know you do measure your words carefully, and we, we try to do that. Um, but, yeah, I, I would say that this um, pandemic, in a way, does it remind you of the, the the conversation the country was having with itself in the aftermath of 9-11? Because uh, I remember after 9-11, people were saying, you know, this country needs the Lord. This country needs the Lord. I, I was at a grocery store this week, Bill, and somebody, you know, saw me and recognized me, and they said, this, this country sh- surely does need to get back to God. And and I agree. Um, the thing that I fear is I hope if things sort of kind of, sort of kind of get back to normal that we forget how much we do need to turn to the Lord. I mean, if this situation is an opportunity to turn our attention back to God and we don't do it, then heaven forbid we go back to our normal routines. Because if you don't turn to God in the hard times, you're probably not going to turn to God in the good times. Yeah, good point. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Alex McFarland and his webinar is streams Monday, Wednesday, Friday at Rev McFarland on Facebook. And uh, Alex, what time and what time zone does that start again? Is it 10 a.m.? Uh, 11 a.m. Eastern. Eastern. And on, on the Facebook page, Rev Alex McFarland, just on, on Facebook. And yes. uh, we take all kinds of apologetics questions. Yeah, yeah. So. What do you think it's going to be like getting back to uh, church in the buildings? Well, I hope people do go back to church. You know, well, I know. When, they, when they talk about 50%, you know, 50% in restaurants, 50% in churches, how do they do that? They sit there with a clicker, and when the place is half full, they tell people they can't come in? Well, yeah, I doubt. I doubt they're going to do that. I mean, I read today where some restaurants, uh, there was a restaurant somewhere that set mannequins like every other chair to forcibly make people, you know, social distance. But, you know, with oh. Weird American Airlines uh, last Saturday, th- did you see in the news? Okay, Thursday a week ago, American Airlines had said every flight would be, you know, every other seat, you know, mm-hmm. so that they would do their flights and enforce social distancing. And then the Internet was blowing up last Saturday with flights that are 100% full, you know, where everybody's sitting there just six inches apart. So uh, Mm -hmm. anyway, uh, with churches, let me say it's a little bit of a balance. And and we had a major gathering in my home state of North Carolina yesterday because the governor has been, you know, rather erratic about what he's asking people to do. And while we want to be law-abiding citizens and we want to be responsible, but the fact is um, civil liberties kind of have been, you know, one of the casualties of the COVID war. And so I I do think churches need to resume meeting. I I do think that um, we're at a point where the the economy has got to start. Our free liberties and lives have got to resume. And, um, 
you know, it's between every pastor and church, but I would encourage pastors to uh, really begin having your services. The good news of this, Bill, I mean, churches are streaming online, and this has forced virtually all churches to go digital when many of them hadn't already, and uh, many of them probably wouldn't wouldn't have, you know. But um, we can't just roll over and play dead and let our civil liberties fully uh, it be taken away. Um, and, and that's why, let me just say this, folks, and Bill, I'm sure you and I will talk about this as the fall draws near. We must, we must elect officials that believe not only in the godly DNA of our country, but in morals, natural law, and truth. And, uh, you know, I, I will tell you, um, I've taken a fair amount of flack for my support for the president. And Bill, back during the 2015 and 2016, uh, a lot of my Christian friends just, you know, castigated me for my support for Donald Trump. But think about it. I mean, this is a fact. Had Hillary Clinton been in the Oval Office during this, we already would would have subordinated the Constitution to the U.N. I guarantee it. So, I mean, thank God that uh, amidst this struggle over our freedoms and our comings and goings, that we have a president and a lot of judges that do believe in our constitutional liberties. And um, one thing to be in prayer about this next election uh, is the probably relatively quick and soon in the next few months or years, replacement of Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the Supreme Court, because that that is one of the most critical appointments that the next president will will be able to do. Um, so let's go back to life. Let's not lose our civil liberties, but let's prayerfully and with voting and proactive citizenship, let's try and preserve our country and our civil liberties. Mm-hmm. So when do you anticipate being back on a, a plane doing in-person uh, speaking and engaging and Truth for a New Generation uh, conferences? Well, thanks for asking. Um, July 27th through August 1, I am to be at the Billy Graham Training Center in Western North Carolina, the Cove, it's called, to teach Daniel and Revelation, how God writes history in advance. And I talked to them this week, Bill, and they said it's on. Now, oh, the cool. Cove, the Billy Graham Training Center, like all of their schedule has had to be canceled up until probably mid to late June. But um, by the website, by the way, their website is thecove.org, thecove, C-O-V.org. And if you Google my name, um, they said, you know, registration is really strong. And I thank God for that. So my next big, you know, public thing is going to be at the Cove, uh, July 27, teaching Daniel and Revelation. Have you ever been there, Bill? I have not. I've always wanted to go. I've never been there. It's it's beautiful. It is. Hey, and I've got to ask you, okay, Faith Radio, you, you all are in Minneapolis, Minnesota, right? That's where the home base is, yes, in Roseville, Minnesota. Yeah, okay. Now, Billy Graham, the great evangelist, for years and years had his Headquarters in in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Did he not? Yep, in downtown Minneapolis. Okay. Well, yeah. um, is Faith Radio 
in some way connected with Billy Graham's work there in Minneapolis or well, anything? Bill, Billy Graham was the president at the University of Northwestern where, for about four years. Um, so he prayed the dedicatory prayer when we started Faith Radio 71 years ago. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That is, that's awesome. That is yeah. really great. And it's interesting, Alex, if you came downtown Minneapolis and you look for the Billy Graham headquarters, it would it's this obscure little street with barely no marking on the building. You would never know that this was the Billy Graham headquarters. Um, wow. It's it's so understated. It's I, I always found that to be kind of cool. Like, you know, yeah. he's not building a, a tribute to himself. He's here's the building. You kind of have to know where it is to find it. Yeah. You know, um, I had never been to his house, but um, I've seen pictures of it. And they said that, you know, Ruth Graham, when um, young in their marriage and Billy Graham was a traveling evangelist. But, you know, it really was like several log cabins that they connected together. (laughs) And I remember I was at uh, the uh, Amsterdam 2000, which was a big conference for evangelists back in the year 2000. And uh um, that was amazing. But a man, I believe it was from India, he was talking about he came to America and he got invited to Billy Graham's home. And he said that he assumed it would be this castle, this palatial, you know, fancy thing with, you know, golden doorknobs or something. And he said he got there and it's, you know, like a, a log cabin. And he said, this is the home of a prophet. This is, you know the home of a, of a man of God. And, uh, anyway, I always appreciated that, that, um, Billy Graham, you know, he and his wife had a humble office in Minneapolis and, uh, and a, a lovely, but humble home on a mountainside in Western North Carolina. Hey, yeah. listen to this. Do I, do I have time to tell a quick story about Amsterdam 2000? Yep. We got 90 seconds. Okay. Listen to this, folks. Billy Graham had this great conference in Amsterdam. We went. There were 10,000 people. And I was staying in a warehouse with a dirt floor. And uh, it was not very nice. And there were 7,500 men from all around the world, many from you know developing nations. Well, you had to walk and walk and walk. I got to my steel cot. There's a piece of bread, like a loaf of bread and a block of cheese. And this guy from Texas said, look, let's go in together and let's get a hotel. We don't want to stay in this, you know, dirty old warehouse with thousands of people and only 400 showers. And I watched a man. He was dressed very poorly. He stared at the bread and the cheese, literally fell to his knees weeping. And one of the people said to me, he said, you got to understand, for a lot of these evangelists and missionaries, this week in Amsterdam with bread, cheese, and a steel cot on the dirt floor, the reason they're weeping for joy is because for many of them, this is the finest accommodations they'll ever enjoy in their whole life. It humbled me. It made me grateful for how much wow. we have. Alex, thanks for taking the time to do the show today. Always great to talk to you. All right. Well, we'll, we'll connect. And, uh, hey, everybody, keep listening to Faith Radio and Bill Arnold. Look forward to it. Thank you, Alex. Dr. Alex McFarland. Yep. You can go to DrAlexMcFarland.com to learn more about him. We'll take a little break. When we come back, Dr. Scott Abrams will be joining us. Be back in a minute. All righty. Welcome back. We are uh, 
looking at a fantastic uh, chance to chat with Dr. Scott Abrams. He is a uh, follower of Jesus. He is a uh, physician, and he's a recovering drug addict. I mean, I remember a pastor I once had that said, things are going to be hard, so better they be hard and right than hard and wrong. And there are so many stories of people when they're in the midst of hard, choose wrong. And Scott's got quite a fascinating story. He gives the glory to God. And in all of this, he produced a lovely daily uh, book on recovery called Freedom in the Fight. And it's uh, uh, three, 365 days, I'm pretty sure. I'll have to check that out with him. But it's a fantastic devotional, especially to ones who are struggling uh, with an addiction of any kind. And he's with me now. Scott, welcome. Thanks for having me, Bill. Yeah, so tell me the book. Is it 365 days? Do we get the whole year? Yeah, it is. You're right, right. It's the whole year. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was the idea. Sweet. Uh, you know, recovery for me has been a, a daily a daily endeavor, and that's, that's you know, uh, we may make a decision to follow Christ once, but um, it's, you know, following Jesus is a daily uh, uh, thing for us. And so, yeah, it's, it's an everyday thing, 365. Yeah. I, I've said this before, Scott, but I, I don't think there's tons of momentum in Christianity. You can have a one day where you're on top of the mountain and the next day you can just be in the valley, can't you? It is, yeah. This is, uh, yeah, I, I, I think I used to see it as just a decision I made in my head and I was good and, you know, just do whatever <laughs> I want then. But yeah, no, this is this is something we work at every day and some days are better than others, but it's it's uh, following Christ is a daily thing. Yeah. Now, you grew up in a pretty nice little Christian home. You had a pretty nice uh, uh, family life growing up. You paid attention in school. So tell us that story. Yeah, I had a pretty, you know, idyllic uh, upbringing. My father's a pastor. I was taught, uh, you know, scripture from an early age. I don't remember not believing. Uh, you know, in, in the evangelical t- tradition, you know, we, we celebrated the story of the, the sinner or the, you know, the, the drug addict or the, the gang member who came to Christ and then his life radically changed. And so that was that was really my my mindset is that that's what it meant to come to Christ. But of course, I had no reference for that because I, you know, I grew up, I grew up not really doing anything too bad. And so, uh, you know, I really, I think, I think I thought that, um, those who were addicted just hadn't met Christ yet. They just hadn't got there yet. So there was something horribly missing in the, in the life of a person who would be susceptible to an addiction. And they were trying to fill that void with something other than God. That's kind of what you thought more or less. Yeah, I, I think I just assumed that once the drug addict came to Christ, he wouldn't struggle anymore. Gotcha. And and I and I and I, and I, I think you know. Then as, as you grow up, you kind of become aware that you have some struggles. And you're not really sure what to do with those. You know, what does that mean? Oh, I've got some actual life struggles here. But as long as they weren't too bad, you know, you can't keep them secret. Not really work on them. Not really change, but not really have to address them either. And then, of course, you know, later in life, when I when I. Uh, became, you know, when I found pills and more destructive behavior, then then that became a crisis, is what does my faith mean, and how is it that somebody who follows Christ can struggle with addiction? That was that was a big crisis for me. Yeah. So you go to medical school. Are you out of medical school? Are you in residency? Tell me when you first had your first brush with opioids. Yeah, so my last year of medical school, uh, I, was, I was getting ready to graduate, and um I uh, found a lump in my neck and ended up having a surgery for a thyroid cancer. And uh, after that uh, surgery, you know, the, the, it was somewhat painful. And so I got Vicodin. And I, you know, I drank alcohol before, and I'd certainly maybe not handled alcohol well. And maybe I even had it in me to someday become an alcoholic, but alcohol was not my, was not my thing. And so I, I found uh, Vicodin after that surgery, this opiate pain medication. And the first time I took it, I knew I was in love. I mean, this was, this was amazing, the, the, the euphoria that I felt. And not everybody gets this feeling. I mean, there's, there's lots of people out there. That um, that don't have the the predisposition to to love it the way I loved it because the first time I took it I knew I loved it. 
And so it is interesting. There will be some people that will feel a little nauseated, and they go, I don't want to take this again. And other people like yourself that, that said, I think I have found my ticket to a little bit of relief and joy. Yeah, and that's that's my that's my nature, of course. I'm a sensation seeker, and, and I, I love this feeling, and, and I wanted more. And so I didn't have a lot of access at that time, uh, so my problem didn't take off right then. But I knew, I now knew, you know, the, the feeling. I now knew that thing, and I experienced it, and I wanted more. Yeah, so Scott, tell me the path that, that you were on. What was the road you went down? So you said you didn't have a lot of access, so when you ran out of your prescription, then what did you do? Right. Well, that, that was it. You know, that was it for a certain amount of time. I just didn't have any more. And so um, I uh, eventually, of course, left medical school and went to residency and, and became licensed. And then access uh, began. That was that was when my problem took off. And I always say that if there was a Vicodin store in every corner, like there was an alcohol store in every corner, I would be in trouble mm-hmm. uh, because a- a- access was a big problem for me. Uh, once I had access, then I was... Uh, you know, it started slow. It took it took a few years to develop a you know a serious a problem that was serious enough that other people noticed. But it was a problem from the start. I mean, I recognized pretty early on in my use that I had you know developed tolerance. I needed more and more. Um, I developed withdrawal when I couldn't have it. I felt terrible. Uh, I craved it. I thought about it all the time. I mean, I, I was became obsessed with it. And you know, this is this is the nature of of sin. We want something. We 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 take it because it's pleasurable. But then after indulging it for long enough, we become obsessed with it. And we can't control it anymore more than it controls us. And then I started to pray, right? Oh, God, I've got a problem. Please take this away from me. Take this appetite. And, you know, kind of felt God hugging at me. You know, you need to get help. You need to confess to your boss, to your wife. You need to get treatment. You need to talk about this with other people. And of course, I wasn't willing to obey. I wasn't willing to do any of those things. I just wanted this magical fix. And so I didn't do anything. And and then when you change nothing, nothing changes. And so it just, you know, over years, uh, probably, you know, five to 10 years, it spiraled until I had to, had some life problems where I had to address it or attempt to at least. Whoa. So uh, you're on a 10 year run, right? Yeah. Okay. Let's say eight. And was were you using opioids as kind of uh, a reward at the end of a long day in the in the hospital, or tell me how your usage went? Was it a evening thing, a weekend thing? Right. Well, I, I wasn't an addict. I was a doctor taking pills, taking medicine to make my <laughs> life better. And so, you know, I mean, there's, there's a lies we tell ourselves. Right? Yeah. And so I, I had my excuses. I, I used them for sleep was always my primary excuse. I liked working nights, but then when I couldn't when I when I would go back to days I couldn't sleep and so that was always a trigger for me as I would I wouldn't sleep and I know how to sleep you know and then so, so a few pills turns into a few more pills and pretty soon it's handfuls of pills and pretty soon you can't function without them so but you always had a way of kind of justifying it and getting to the next uh, the next day right I'll use this yeah, today you know, I, I, and that'll help me right. sleep yeah, I mean, I, I was in the ER, and so, I mean, I, I'm I'm saving lives. I deserve this. I need to relax. I have to sleep tonight because I have to go to work tomorrow. And so, I mean, why would God, God actually probably wants me to do this so I can sleep well and take good care of patients? You know, I mean, this is this is the sick, twisted thoughts of you know the mind that's justifying destructive behavior, right? Yeah. So you've got um, a wife and kids, right? Right. And yep. a, and uh, a, a wife, Barb, and two kids. Right? Yeah, and a busy job at the hospital. I'm just trying to figure out how you're keeping these plates spinning without people going, Scott, you're not the same. You're a different guy. What's going on here? 
Well, that's the problem. At the beginning, you know, it's not so hard because you're using it, you know, controlled. You know, you're, you're, you're controlling the use. Uh, uh, as we get more and more out of control, that's the problem. As I become to become to, uh, you know, become obsessive when I can't stop thinking about it, I can't stop seeking it, more and more energy goes into getting it. Uh, sleepless nights now, not because I don't have the drug, but because I'm so worried somebody's going to find out. And I look back over the last year and realized I've used more days than I've not. And, and, and this is when other people start to notice, you know, maybe – I'm not showing up intoxicated, but when I withdraw, when I can't use, I'm irritable, and I'm and my personality has changed. And of course, I eventually, you know, had to address this with those in my life. Uh, I hid it for years, by the way, from from everyone around me. I was a closet user, but in two, I would say 2008-ish, when it came to light, I had to do outpatient treatment, uh, and then again in 2012. So I, you know, my I, my first two attempts to deal with my problem. I knew I had a problem. I wanted to deal with it, but I really bought into this idea that, okay, I brought it to God now. I've stopped using it. It's over. I'm delivered. And I, and I, and I you know, just didn't want to deal with it after that. It was just, just put it away, maintain dignity. And most of this was done in semi-secrecy, so not a lot of people knew. Well, so you're kind of going rogue on this deal. You don't have a lot of support system. You don't haven't really confessed to anyone uh, your your problem, right? Well, yeah, uh, you, the whole time using, you know, keeping it a secret. Now, yeah. when, I, when I did go, go to outpatient treatment those two times, I did have to, you know, to address it with my wife and with my work. Okay. And so, and so addressed it with them. But really, you know, part of part of the shame of addiction is that you don't you don't want anybody to know. And so I wasn't really I didn't want to go to meetings one because I didn't like meetings, but two I was just embarrassed. I didn't want to have to go meet with other addicts, and I worried who would see me there. And you know, I would drive you know 30 miles if I had you know. If I had to do a meeting, I would drive you know 30 miles to to hide the fact that I was going. And so, uh, yeah. I, I and then as soon as it, so back backing up a little bit when you when you're a physician and you get in this situation where you have a problem, you have to address it. And the state has has you know they have the responsibility to make sure that that physicians are healthy and and not using drugs, right? And so uh, I had to jump through certain hoops. But as soon as those hoops were taken down, then I was just you know life back to normal. I don't have to do this anymore. I don't have to address this problem. Yeah, it's it's exhausting, isn't it, to try to um, keep keep stuff going and and uh, pretend, isn't it? Oh yeah, I, this is you, looking back. It's phenomenal thinking how much energy I wasted on hiding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you had your love affair going with the opioids, and that wasn't that that wasn't going to take a back seat to much, was it? No, and so, yeah, so I mean, I like I said, I, I claimed, I, you know, I, I claimed that I was delivered. I, I read the book, um, and, and 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 Christians, even you know, Christians close to me told me, oh, you don't need help from you know chemical dependency counselors. All you need is Jesus, and I and I'm not saying that I don't need Jesus. I absolutely needed Jesus. It just happened to be that Jesus had some very nice people in treatment that he wanted me to meet, you know, and so um, he works through other people, and I needed to meet with those other people. I needed to be willing to talk about it, and so, but I really liked that idea that I just had, I didn't have, I didn't have an ongoing problem. I didn't have a thorn in my flesh. I didn't have a, a life problem. I just had a sin that I needed to, to get rid of, and then I was done with it, and I could walk away from it. Of course, that wasn't the case. As soon as I stopped addressing it, it it waited a little while, but it eventually came back. Mm, so there were relapses as well. Yeah, 2014 was the last. That that was the disaster. That was the, um, you know, so I, uh, long story short, I was using my own license, my own prescribing power to get pills in 2014 when I relapsed. So I'd, I'd been sober for three years and then two years and then 2014, uh, you know, uh, 
worked a long run of nights, couldn't sleep again, found some pills. I know how to do this. I know how, you know, I mm-hmm. won't get addicted this time, and I deserve this, and it'll be okay, and, and I'll just ask God to forgive me tomorrow, and it'll all be fine. Uh, of course, I took the pills, and that switch, you know, flipped in my brain, and I was off and running. I knew I wasn't going to stop, but I had a problem. Because of my past, uh, you know, uh, uh, addiction, uh, you know, the doctors around me knew and so they wouldn't prescribe and so I had to use my own license. And so this is really when life came crashing down after I started using my own license to get pills. I had to leave my job in the ER that had been at 12 years. I had my, my marriage was a disaster, and I was on my way to inpatient treatment this time. I was going somewhere. I mean, I had to go away for a while. Wow, Scott, this is a, just an incredible story, and I appreciate your vulnerability and honesty. I'm going to take a little break. Scott uh, has written a book called Freedom in the Fight, Daily Reflections for Recovery. It's a 365-day recovery book loaded with scripture and very insightful, encouraging thoughts. And it is available uh, from the publisher. They have given me five copies that I can distribute to five uh, people who would like to get in on the drawing. And if that is you, please uh, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Again, text the word book. That's all you text is just the word book. Nothing else, nothing in parentheses, nothing added. Just book. Did not 877-93-FAITH. We'll get your name in the drawing for one of uh, Dr. Scott Abrams' books, Freedom in the Fight, Daily Reflections for Recovery. We'll take a short break, and we'll be right back. So glad to have Dr. Scott Abrams as my guest. He uh, has written a great uh, devotional called Freedom in the Fight, Daily Reflections for Recovery. And his publisher was nice enough to send over five copies. And he said that I would be uh, more than happy to give them out to five lucky listeners. And if you uh, are in a situation where you're recovering, uh, maybe you've got a loved one that is, they would love this book. So if you want to get in on the drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484, and we'll make sure we get uh, your name in the drawing, and we'll draw today. So thank you uh, so much, Scott. Um, when we last left off, you were headed into inpatient. So that means uh, job is suspended, uh, family's going to miss dad for a while, and this sounds pretty daunting to a smart, successful emergency room doctor. Right. I, I went from, you know, being that doctor to absolute disaster in just a couple of days. And, and job wasn't suspended. Job was gone. I mean, I was they were kind enough to let me leave the job, but the job was gone uh, and my career was gone. At that point, the state again steps in and says, you're not a physician right now. You can't practice. Whoa. Uh, and so, yeah. And so, I, you know, as far as I knew, my career was over. And so this was absolute crisis. I mean, my, my marriage is, I think, maybe over. Uh, my, my wife and kids may be gone. Uh, my career is certainly over. My faith is in, you know, the, the the absolute, it's a disaster. And in this crisis, you know, I cried out to God, you know, God, what, what is happening? I mean, I I really, 
I really prayed for you to take this thing. I asked you to take this addiction. I prayed a thousand times with tears in my eyes, really asking God, just make me a robot. Just do this. Just take it over. And why didn't you? Where were you? And those around me wanted to know, you know, are you even a Christian? And I had to ask myself, I, 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 I doubted God at this point. Are you there? Do you not care? What's going on? Why did you let me get here? Wow, that's amazing. So when did you start to feel that that God's power and strength along with the recovery program and the fellowship and the step work that you did, when did you start to feel that you had new hope? When did hope come? Uh, that took a little while. I, I never lost, I never completely abandoned my faith. And I, I thank God every day for my parents who, who taught me faith when I was young so that I returned to it, you know, as an adult. And, and in my crisis, I turned to God. I cried out to God, God, where were you? And I, and I needed to know. I needed to know the answers. I, I didn't not believe. I just really wanted to know where God was. And so, you know, day one on the way to treatment, you know, I read Galatians 6, 7, and 8. So even at that point, I was still seeking the answer. So I never jettisoned my faith. I still looked to God. And Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says, do not be deceived. God's not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. You know, if you sow from the flesh, you're going to reap destruction. If you sow from the spirit, you'll reap life. And I I had sowed, you know, the seeds of my flesh, and I was reaping disaster. And so in that, I found hope. I I think probably saw the hope early on, uh, believed it was there, but didn't really feel it until later. But even early on, knew that if I was willing to abandon the destructive behavior, the the disaster, if I was willing to do what it took to, to leave that, then life would be better. And I really had it out with God in treatment. I mean... I remember the day, it was maybe a weekend, and just sitting there, dear God, this is horrible. I do not want to be here again. I hate who I am. I hate what I'm doing. I hate what I've done to my family. Tell me what I have to do to never come back here. And and that was the light bulb moment because it was like God said, okay, now you're willing to be obedient. Now we can work with this. Now we have somewhere to go. Before, I just wanted the magical answer. I'd wanted him to, you know, he, he's, he's saved us, but now it's, He's opened the, the the door to my prison, but now it's my job to follow him out. Mm-hmm. And I just kept going back. I, I just kept going back to my prison. I just kept turning around, going back in. And now he said, "You have to follow me daily." And that was really that's Luke nine twenty three, right? Anyone who wants to be my disciple must take up his cross and follow me daily. Mm-hmm. You know, Scott, I'm always fascinated because you had a period of sobriety, and then you had that moment. And can you can you go back to that moment? And I want you to do this with great caution and care because. These are vulnerable times, but you're literally thinking to yourself, I got this. This time I can do it and I'll be okay. Because for some reason, that is a point that so many people, when they get to, they can't be victorious in. Uh, We tell ourselves that uh, I'll never, or at least I told myself, I'll never be dumb enough again to go back. And, And so then we let we let our foot off the gas. We say, I don't really have to work at this. I, you know, we, we become apathetic, right? So it, when I talk to other addicts who've relapsed, and, and my story too, it's never just, oh, one day we decided we were going to use, that, you know, and, and we started using. It, it's always months or, you know, before that where we, we let up on our devotions. We kind of abandon our relationship with God. We stop working at it. Then little things creep in. For me, it was tobacco. I, I had given up tobacco, and that was something I'd struggled with before, but I'd given it up. But I decided I was going to allow tobacco back into my life. And it was these little small steps back towards the pill. And so, so the addiction didn't start just one day out of the blue. It was these little steps I'd taken, you know, and turning my back on God in my daily walk with him. It was picking up old bad habits, letting little things back into my life. And then I'd prepared. I'd practiced for faith. 
either, right? And so when the big thing came, when the temptation came, again, I'd worked nights, I couldn't sleep, and I was up by myself, and I found these pills in, in some family members' you know, cabinet, and so uh, I can do this. I can get away with this, and no consequences, and God will forgive me tomorrow. I practiced for failure, and then when the big temptation came, of course I gave in. It's a really interesting expression, Scott, practiced for failure. Can you say a little well, bit more about that? Yeah, so... A lot of times we plan, we, we, I like to watch superhero movies, and so I think, you know, when that big moment comes in life, when it's my turn, you know, to stand up and do something heroic, I think I'm going to make the right decision. But what we don't realize is that we've made those huge decisions in our lives long before, we, you know, and the, the tiny little decisions we make every day. You know, God says, it's not just follow me once. It's take up your cross daily and follow me. And so, and so the sum of our lives is not one huge moment or one huge decision. It's a thousand little decisions that we make every day. Am I following Christ in this or am I following myself? Now, if I start down that road of following myself, and I still struggle with it, I certainly don't live perfectly, but if I follow myself more and more every day, suddenly I'm going to find myself up a thousand miles in a direction I didn't want to go. And I'm going to look around and say, how did I get here? And the only answer is that I walked here. I did it. I did the last thousand days. I did it. Mm-hmm. How do you hold in your head the idea that, um, I know you've addressed this in your book, that am I a Christian or an addict? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, that's the answer, is yes. <laughs> um, of course. You know, so, uh, I, you know, I think uh, a lot of, when I, when I go to um, uh, Christian facilities and, and, and I say, my name's Scott, I'm an addict. There's always, there's always that person that's so offended. No, you're not an addict. You're, you're, you're a son of God. And if you say you're an addict, you're always going to act like an addict. And I always say in that context, yes, I absolutely am saved. I'm absolutely a son of God. But I am just admitting that one of my greatest life struggles has been addiction. And so I say this, this is like when you go to the doctor. When you go to the doctor, you don't walk in and you say, my name is Scott. I'm a Christian. No, you walk in and you say, my name is Scott, and I have hypothyroidism. Right. You know, and, and so in that, in that context, what are we talking about? And so, uh, yes, I, am, I, am I a father? Absolutely. Am I uh, a doctor? Absolutely. Is that the most important thing about me? No. No, I, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a child of, of God. That's probably the most important thing about me. But when I also say, uh, this is also my life struggle, the way I say it is I'm an addict. If that offends somebody, I don't, it's okay. You don't have to mm-hmm. say it like I do. You don't have to be, you know, I'm not claiming that this is all I'm ever going to be and that I'm, I'm never going to be anything different. Uh, but I'm just addressing the reality that, boy, this has been a life struggle for me, and I'm going to continue addressing it because I don't want to return to it. Mm-hmm. Scott, as you live in sobriety, what do you consider to be one of the most dangerous lies that the enemy will tell you? Uh, it's over. You're fine. Okay. <laughs> so you know, in other words, I, yeah. things are good. Yeah, I, I th- and I think that's probably one of the most dangerous things we can tell anybody with any struggle. You know, if you struggle uh, pornography or over- overeating or, you know, pride or uh, shopping, whatever it is, you know, yeah, you don't have a problem anymore. You're fixed. And, and so you don't have to, you know, you don't have to continue uh, daily crucifying the flesh and following Christ. You don't have to keep, you know, denying self and, 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 and following Christ every day. You, you can let up. You can stop. You can, you can, you can, you can rest easy because you've arrived. Mm-hmm. And then just remind our listeners who have struggled uh, or are struggling with an addiction, just the power of of living freely in Christ. Uh, looking back, I mean, I can't believe I waited so long to turn to Christ, to abandon my destructive behavior, to do what it takes, you know, to, to, to truly follow Christ to freedom. Uh, on the on the backside of it, you know, before I did it, though, I, I get it. I mean, when you're looking, you know, when I was looking forward to getting sober— 
there was a mountain of work to go through. I mean, I didn't want to go to treatment. That was miserable. I didn't want to have to leave my job. I didn't want to have to address it with my wife. Those were all really painful things. And so I get why we don't do it. But when you come out the other side and you find the blessed freedom that is to be found only in Christ, it is unbelievable. And you will, you will, you will say, why did I not do this sooner? We're all, we're all desperate for pleasure and satisfaction and joy. And we seek those things in such destructive things. And what we're truly looking for, of course, is Christ. He's the only adequate answer to all of our life's needs. And once we find that, we think, oh my goodness, why didn't I do this sooner? Now, the reality is I've still got other things to work on. I'm not perfect yet. So there's things I'm still working on. Mm -hmm. And because you've dealt with addiction and you understand secrecy, maybe just in the last couple of minutes that we've got left, uh, remind listeners how horrible it is to try to be hiding from God. Uh... Right. I mean, if, you, if, you, if you've ever if you've ever been there, it's absolute uh, misery. You're, you you think you want this thing, and, and we want it for a reason, right? We we like you know the pornography, we like the drug, we like the drink, uh, because it feels good, and so we get into it. But once it comes to control you, it's not fun anymore. Now now you're a slave to that thing, and nobody likes to be a slave. But but you know the fact is you you feel like you're stuck and you can't you can't do anything. But you have to hide it because once other people know, then you might have to address it. And it's it's that that hiding, uh, the, you know, the, the guilt and the shame of being something that you are trying to keep from everybody around you. What if everybody knew? I mean, how often have we thought that? What if every thought in my head or every action was displayed above my head on a sign? What would other people think of me? And, and in the state of addiction, of course, you just become obsessed with that. You, you know, sleepless nights, laying there hours at night. What if people find out? What if my wife finds out? What if my mm-hmm. job finds out? It'll all be over. And so you, you, you spend as much time hiding it as you did just trying to engage in it. Mm-hmm. Dr. Scott Abrams has been my guest. You can head over to his website, faithinthestruggle.com. He also uh, has written a book called Freedom in the Fight. It's a, a daily reflections for recovery. I have five copies to give out today. If you would like to get in the drawing to get one of those copies or to be eligible for the drawing, send the word, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Scott Abrams has been my guest. Scott, thank you so much for doing the show. And I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Thanks for having me, Bill. You bet. That wraps up our show for the day. I hope you enjoyed uh, the show. If you missed any of it, go to MyFaithRadio.com and check it out. Thank you for being such faithful listeners and supporters. It is time to ring the bell. Have a great weekend. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.